hands to keep ourselves ready for the coming of the Lord. And at the same time, not forgetting about those that uh, know not about the gospel. As Brother White so uh, just did such a marvelous job last night, giving us the keys to the city. I appreciate that. We need all of this. It keeps us balanced. If we're not careful, I suppose one of the greatest dangers to the apostolic movement is we tend to be radicals. We believe what we believe so strongly, and that's the way it should be. But uh, sometimes we can get focused in one area at the expense of another area. And uh, I appreciate a clear sound about evangelism and reaching the lost. I think that's a big, big part of the gospel. And if we lose that, why, we will die uh, from within. And so I want to say thank you to these brethren. Thanks for your hospitality in the room and everything you provided. And uh, I, do, I do count this an honor. I do not approach this pulpit lightly today. I approach it with great trembling in my spirit. I um, am going to probably depart from my normal method of preaching at a meeting such as this. And um, I have no choice if I obey God in what I preach in any service, and neither does any other preacher of the gospel. If you really find the mind of the Spirit, then it matters not what your preference is. You've got to preach what God told you to preach. And uh, what I'm going to endeavor to bring to your attention today has been burning in me for a couple of months or so. And uh, I feel that uh, this is what God would have me to preach on today. Uh, I noticed on the brochure it said a preaching and teaching conference. And uh, part of what I'm going to bring in your hearing this morning is probably going to be more along the lines of teaching than uh, the traditional uh, uh, preaching type forum. But if you'd stand with me, we'll read a few passages of Scripture together. I don't want to spend a great deal of time reading Scripture throughout what I'm bringing today. I'll make reference to a number of Scriptures. But as we begin, I'd like to read a portion of Scripture from four different references, beginning in 1 Kings chapter number 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. Verse number 53, then I'll be going to the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. First <clears throat> Kings 8, verse number 53. This is a portion of Solomon's prayer concerning the nation of Israel. And he's speaking and praying to the Lord and said, For thou didst separate them. From among all the people of the earth, to be thine inheritance, as thou spakest by the hand of Moses thy servant, when thou broughtest our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. So here we see a statement of God's purpose in separating Israel unto himself. Then in the book of Isaiah chapter 43, Isaiah 43, and then from there we'll go to the New Testament. 2 Corinthians, Isaiah chapter 43, verse number 21. Isaiah 43, 21. This people 
have I formed for myself, they shall show forth my praise. God had a reason, amen, for calling Israel to a lifestyle of separation. Amen. He's still got a reason. Let's see what it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Isn't that a beautiful passage of Scripture? What a challenge, what a call to separation. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9, and that will be my last passage of Scripture to read while you're standing here. i got a feeling we'll be doing a lot of sitting at times today, so we probably better take advantage of standing when we can. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should shew forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. My, my, what a privilege today to be called of God. Amen. I'm glad to be a part of this chosen generation, this royal priesthood, this holy nation, this peculiar people. Amen. Why don't you lay your Bibles down and let's magnify the Lord together here this morning. I worship you, Jesus. I glorify your name. I praise you today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Speak to our hearts. Teach us thy ways. Give us understanding today, Lord Jesus. In thy name, in thy name, in thy name, in thy name. Praise your name, Lord Jesus. Praise your name. Praise God. You can be seated. My subject this morning is going to be the purpose of separation. The purpose of separation. And in the context of this message today... I may say a few things that would be easy to be misunderstood and easy for you to get hung up on it. I would like to ask you, if you please would, to save judgment of what I'm going to preach here today until I finish. And then please take any statements that I make within the context of the message that I'm preaching today. I think that's fair. I think that's what we ought to give that privilege to anyone that's preaching the Word of God is to hear the whole matter before we judge it. And uh, so I, I'm not here to cross anybody's theology. I'm not here to throw stones at anyone. I'm not here to straighten anybody out. Uh, I, I'm only here to try to bring to you what God's been dealing with me about. I'll be preaching to myself as much as I am anyone else here. And so together let's see what God has for us. Uh, in, this, in this Bible study, message, whatever you want to call it here, uh, this morning. And for the purpose of this discussion or of this message or Bible study, 
I'm going to try to do something here that normally is not done. It's a very difficult thing to do. And I'm going to try to make a slight differentiation between holiness and separation. And I know that's very, very difficult. And in our minds are one and the same. And uh, absolutely you must have both to have true holiness. But for the purpose of this discussion, uh, let's try to look at it separately so that we can uh, kind of put the spotlight and define each of these terms and understand what we're talking about. And of course, this is about as difficult to do as to, uh, to uh, divide between soul and spirit. But it can be done because the Bible says it can in Hebrews 4 and 12 that the Word of God is sharp enough to divide between soul and spirit. And so uh, I believe in holiness and I believe in separation. But uh, I want to talk about them as a separate issue at times here this morning. Amen. Everybody say praise the Lord. Now I have some concerns just like many of you. In fact, I would say the majority, if not all of the people that are gathered here in this place today. And by the way, I want to, I want to say what a great morning crowd uh, uh, for this conference. Uh, this speaks well of those of you that have come to be a part of this conference. Uh, but uh, there are many enemies of true holiness. Amen. And uh, our holiness message is under attack. And uh, our holiness message is being uh, drugged through the muck and the mire. And, and a lot of condemnation is being heaped upon those that take a strong stand for separation. Is that right? Amen. Many of you come from different parts of the country. And in your particular areas, you uh, are a lightning rod of, of, uh, of criticism and, and accusations that are brought your direction for simply preaching what most of us preached 25 and 30 years ago. But uh, in some areas, it's no longer preached and, and stood for uh, like it one time was. And so you become the great speckled bird that is set upon by all the other fowls around you. And so there are many, many enemies of holiness. I don't have time to deal with all of them, but there's a couple of things that I would like to mention this morning. Uh, this first enemy of holiness, of which we all are very aware of, we all uh, suffer as a, a result of the attacks of, of this insidious group of people, uh, but there's a crowd that I call the anything goes crowd under the banner of Jesus' name and apostolic. And uh, men that are not able or willing uh, don't have an understanding or revelation or else don't have a backbone uh, to preach what it takes to live a, solely, uh, a separated holy life unto God. Amen. They kind of fall into this category that Paul warned about in Romans 6 and 1, uh, that uh, grace covers it all. Amen. What shall we say? Uh, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Amen. But you'd be surprised at how many people in the rank and file of the apostolic movement, amen, has a, a little flirtation with this idea that when they sin, God just takes care of it and they don't have to sweat it. Amen. Just, you know, uh, God winks and blinks and, and everything is fine. Amen. And of course, Romans 13 and 14 uh, warns us to not make any uh, provision for the flesh, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and to not make any provision for the flesh to fulfill 
the lust thereof. Amen. You see, uh, when people allow things of the world, amen, in their lives and in their churches, in their congregations, every single time it's for the purpose of making a provision for the flesh. Amen. Somebody in that congregation that's carnal, amen, wants to do those things that they allow. If it's not in the congregation, it's in the pulpit. If it's not in the pulpit, it's in the preacher's family. Amen. But every provision, amen, that is made to accommodate carnality and the works of the flesh, amen, is to make provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And so the flesh can do what it wants to do unchallenged so that people can live how they want to live, amen, without feeling guilt or shame or condemnation. Amen. But you know, when we violate the laws of God, we need to feel some guilt and condemnation. We need to feel some shame. There's some things that are still a shame for a person to do. Always has been, presently is, and always will be. Amen. But you see, when people are more concerned about other people's feelings and allowing them to do what they want to do, they make provisions. They make allowances, if you please. They allow certain things to be that ought not to be. Amen. To pacify someone's fleshly, carnal desire. That's always the case. If I do it or you do it, that's the case. Amen. And so the Bible warns us against this. And so when somebody, amen, reads the word of the Lord, and no true scholar, no true student, no honest-hearted reader of the word can deny that the Bible is against jewelry. And so to allow jewelry, you must make a provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Amen. You make provision for wedding rings. That's to satisfy somebody's desire to adorn himself with jewelry. Amen. If you make accommodations for other types of decorative jewelry, whether it be cufflinks or, or some kind of gaudy pin hanging on the collar or whatever it might be in the hair, on the hand, around the neck, you're making provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. If you're going to do it, at least be honest about it. Amen. You see, when people are allowed to not only own, but watch television, Hollywood movies on video and so forth and so on, amen, the reason why they are allowed to do that is to make provision for somebody's lust. Somebody wants to see that junk. Somebody wants to fantasize. Somebody wants to escape into a fantasy world. Amen. That's why we have so-called apostolics with television and video in their homes. Amen. They have made an allowance or provision for the lust to fulfill, amen, the lust thereof. Amen. They made provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. 
and all of these things. You want to talk about organized sports, you want to talk about uh, immodest apparel, uh, whatever you want to talk about today, amen, it is to make a provision for the flesh. Accommodating your stinking, rotten, carnal flesh. Somebody say hallelujah. In the book of Philippians chapter 3, verse number 18, Apostle Paul speaks of following him and walking as you have him for an example. He said, for many walk, of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Carnal, liberal people, if I can use a label, and they use it on us, I'll use it on them. Amen. Liberals are enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. And all that the cross represents, it represents death, it represents commitment, it represents dedication, it represents love. Is that right? And everything the cross represents, amen, is destroyed and attacked by people that refuse to live a godly, holy, separated lifestyle. Amen. You're walking contrary to the message of the cross. You're sending out the wrong signal. Amen. You're, you're, you're telling the wrong thing on God. Amen. And Paul said it with weeping. Amen. I, I, I'm broken hearted about it. Amen. When I tell you, I'm not being hard. I'm not being arrogant, he said. But even with weeping, I tell you that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, as far as I'm concerned, I realize this has all been recorded. And so it all becomes a part of a permanent record. Amen. But as far as I live in the, in the charismatic capital of the world, a couple of my pastor friends are uh, from the same area here with me this morning. And we put up with that charismatic spirit. We get it crammed down our throat. I mean, we get sick of it. But I've got more problems, amen, with the carnal, so-called Pentecostals and apostolics that won't take a stand for separation than I do with the charismatic movement. They never were right. They've not been born again of the water and the spirit. But I got a problem with people that call themselves apostolic. Amen. And won't take a stand against worldliness and ungodliness. Amen. They're, they're, they're a bigger embarrassment to my church than the largest charismatic church in our community. Amen. When my kids have to go to school with them, thank God we started the Christian school, put an end to a lot of that nonsense. And the teachers and the principals and the coaches say, well, you're supposed to be United Pentecostal Church. Why are you so contrary? Amen. There's other United Pentecostal Church kids here that don't have any problem with doing, amen, these things that you're making such an issue over. I declare to you today there are enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm not nearly as concerned about the enemy without as I am the enemy within. 
It's what's going on within our ranks that's destroying us. Amen. It's not what the world is doing to us. It's what we're doing to ourselves. It's what we're doing to one another. Amen. You can be seated. Now, brethren, I feel total liberty to rail against the liberals today. I feel total liberty to call them what they are. But I want to ask you a question. Will you allow me the liberty to preach to us for a little while this morning? Everything I've said about the liberals today is not going to help any of them, and it's probably not going to help very many of you. But if we're going to be helped, we're going to have to preach to one another. Amen. For far too long. Amen. We preach about everything but what we need to preach about. Amen. We rail on everybody except what we need to be railing about. I need preach too. You need preach too. Amen. I'm trying to save myself from this untoward generation. I need to hear a clear sound. I need to hear a certain sound. Amen. I need somebody to dig me up. I need somebody to show me. Amen. What I need to do in order to be saved. You can be seated. I want to talk for a little while about some other, another group of enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. And I am not trying to target anybody. And I'm not trying to uh, paint anybody here this morning. Because I'm fixing to talk about us conservatives. And I are one of you. Whether you want to believe I am or accept me as one of you or not, you're stuck with me. Amen. I'm hanging with you, all right? I said I'm hanging with you. I've already seen what the other group has. And I don't want anything to do with that. Amen. I'm hanging with a conservative group. Amen. I don't care I, to be labeled as conservative. And when I, I some, some folks got on, on the internet, I heard this through the grapevine come back around to me. And that's another subject. I don't have time to deal with that. But you better deal with it. You're going to have some problems in your church if you don't. But anyway... Uh, there's this uh, so-called Pentecostal gossip room, I mean chat room. And, and uh, I, I seem to have been the topic of discussion at some point or another. And there were a lot of uh, what was thought to be very unkind things said about me, about how hard I am, and about my holiness standards and this, that, and that. When I heard about it, I was highly complimented. I thank God they know what I stand for. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not going to apologize for it. And I'm not going to change it to suit them. I'm not interested in what they've got. Do you understand that? I'm not interested in associating with that liberal anything goes crowd. They're not my kind of people. Amen. I feel comfortable here today. I'm surrounded by holiness-loving people. That's my family. That's my mama. That's the kind of people I feel comfortable with. That's the kind of people I believe I'm going to spend eternity with. Amen, amen, amen. You can be seated. 
But there is a group among us that I want to call the look how holy I am crowd. As though holiness was some kind of organized competitive sport. An individual with that kind of spirit needs a revelation like Isaiah had in Isaiah chapter number 6. You need to see the Lord high and lifted up. Amen. You need to come into his presence and see how unholy you are and how ungodly you are and how full of iniquity you are and how much you need personal purging and cleansing from the call of fire off the altar of God. I have not yet attained. I'm reaching. I'm pressing toward the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. I do not feel like I have arrived. I do not feel like I am the perfect example of holiness. Amen. I do not feel like that I'm even qualified to preach what I'm preaching here today. But somebody has to say it. We do need to talk about it. We do need to hear it. Amen. You see, one of Satan's best tactics is to duplicate the real with a counterfeit. And the thing about counterfeits is it looks so close to the real that it takes a very discerning person to tell the difference. I heard back in the summer, uh, Apostle Paul Harvey was speaking. Paul Harvey spoke of some American tourists abroad that were being approached and sold these authentic-looking $1 million bills. They should have known it was a phony because it had President Clinton's, Clinton's likeness and image on it. And one hapless American tourist down in South America bought one at a discounted rate of $500,000. When he brought it back to the States and tried to put it in the bank, he was told that it was a fake. And he said, it can't be. And they said, oh, yes, it is. He said, no, it can't be. He said, they gave me a certificate of authenticity with it. <laughs> so he was taken in by a counterfeit. Amen. And in and amongst us, and I believe the majority of apostolic people that are standing for this message are genuine, 100%. Hallelujah. But I'm going to tell you what, there's a few dudes out there that we need to flush out. Amen. We need to out them. Hallelujah. So there are spirits that have been lurking for a long, long time. Amen. These spirits do not die. When one generation passes, they look for someone else to work through. Amen. They look for another strange ideology or doctrine to promote their purpose. Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 4, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now we normally ascribe that uh, to the liberals. But if you'll notice here, uh, these seducing spirits 
are leading men and women to extreme positions that are unscriptural. These men are not going liberal. They're holiness-minded people. And they're speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats which God has created, and so forth and so on. Now, I'm not uh, aware of anybody preaching against getting married. I'm not aware of anybody in our ranks preaching against eating certain kinds of food or meat, but I wouldn't be surprised by what is going on. It has been preached before, and I'm sure it will be again. But that's not the only way that this spirit manifests itself. You see, the Roman Catholic Church for centuries has promoted these kinds of practices by select groups of people. Amen. In monasteries, uh, in convents, uh, your nuns, your monks, your priests, and your higher levels of leadership. Amen. Abstaining from certain things dressing in certain kind of clothing. And these people are referred to as holy people because of outward appearance and because of physical discipline. Are you all still with me? In theory, in theory, these people are dedicated and, and they are holy people. But when you suppress behavior that God's Word ordains, you're going to get all kinds of deviant practices and perversions and lifestyles out of people that are trying to live something to impress someone else to make them think they are holy. There should only be one person that we're trying to impress with our holiness today. And it's not me, and it's not you, and it's not one another. Amen. But the only one we need to be interested in impressing today is God. He's the ultimate judge. Now, I'm not saying this to saints of God that are under the authority of the pastor. That's not what I'm saying. Amen. But even under the authority of your pastor, your driving passion and desire, amen, should not be to please your pastor as much as it is to please God. Amen. I guarantee if you please God, you're going to please your pastor. That's all he's trying to get you to do in the first place. Amen. Is to please God. Well, somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Praise God. So we have these spirits that work, amen, spirits of error that do not go away, but periodically they resurface wearing a new dress and a new face, amen. But their purpose is to turn men away from the truth and away from true holiness. And you know the thing about a spirit of error, it doesn't stop one place, but it continues. Amen. To work in all areas of, of your life, in all areas of, of your belief system. Error never uh, shows itself to be what it is. It comes wearing a cloak of inspiration and revelation and a higher understanding 
and a deeper dimension in the spirit. But Paul nailed it down and said it, but if I or even an angel from heaven come preaching any other gospel than what has been preached unto you, let him be accursed. We don't need a new understanding, a new revelation. Amen. We don't need to add to the doctrine that's already been delivered once and for all to the saints. What we need, amen, is to live what we already know and to be up and about the master's business. There are a number of things that uh, promote and make a place for a spirit of error. One of them is always wanting to preach something new. Always trying to come up with some idea that nobody else has ever thought of. It's not going to be long till you're going to come up with some idea that no one else has ever thought of. Amen. Another thing that promotes a spirit of error is when you start tinkering around with the Word of God and try to figure out how people can be saved doing less than what the Gospel says. When you try to expand this thing on out and you try to include people uh, that's not uh, lined up to the plan of salvation and the Word of God, you're going to be in a spirit of error before long. Hello? Amen. Other things that promote error is a lack of love for the truth. Amen. You better fall in love with truth. Amen. Not only the truth as refers to the doctrine. Amen. But you better fall in love. Amen. With the ability. Amen. To know the truth about yourself. Self-deception is the worst kind of deception. Amen. We need a love for the truth this afternoon or this morning. Could you say amen? But you see, when spiritual conditions are right, when certain things are going on within society and the culture or within a certain nation or country, amen, it's easy for these spirits to resurface and to lead men into perdition. Amen. And the men are beguiled. In fact, as I have been doing this study for a long time, I find this word beguiled used over and over and over again. That's the same thing that happened to Eve. She listened to the serpent and she was beguiled or bewitched. Amen. She was brought under a spell. Amen. She absolutely began to believe what the serpent was telling her. She came under his influence and under his spell, and she became deceived. And so men are, are beguiled with the appearance of spirituality and holiness. And one of the things that I contend for earnestly is the fivefold ministry and the gifts of the Spirit. I believe that we need them to perfect the church. I don't believe there's any way, amen, that the church is going to get out of here, amen, uh, just by teaching and preaching of the Word alone. I think we need a move of God to go along with the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Not one instead of the other, but I believe they work together. Amen. I believe the Spirit and the Word agree. But there's a lot of false spirituality in the day and hour that we're living in. Everybody's running around claiming to have some kind of gift. There's more ignorance on the gifts of the Spirit today than at any time I can ever recollect. Is it all right if I go ahead and say what I feel like saying? It's a shame 
that at a meeting like this that God can't move and speak to us without a bunch of people wanting everyone to think they're spiritual jumping in and causing so much confusion that we can't hear from God. Now charge me with that if you want to. Amen. But you need to learn how to try the Spirit. When somebody's trying to give a message in tongues or an interpretation or prophecy, it's not a time for everybody in the building that feels God to start talking in tongues. You need to learn how to shut up and wait on the Spirit of God. Amen. But when you've got an attitude that you want everybody to know that you've got a gift and that you're spiritual, amen, you're wide open for the devil to use you to bring confusion instead of a clear word from God. Amen. Somebody say hallelujah. You can be seated. You'll just have to forgive me, but I've seen this scenario played out all over the country. It's got to where you can't even have a gift of the Spirit operating anymore. Amen. Because you've got so many novices jumping in. Amen. Taking it away from the pulpit. Taking it away from the man of God that's directing the service. They think they know more about, amen, what the mind of the Spirit is than the man of God that's anointed to preach and the man of God, amen, that's in charge. You need to learn how to submit yourself to this pulpit. This man of God last night asked people to be quiet. And there was four or five people that just kept running on and on and on and on and on. Somebody should have come back there and set you down. You need to learn respect when God is moving. And you need to learn respect when a man of God is instructing you what to do. If your excuse is, I can't control it, I'm telling you that you're of the wrong spirit. Because the Bible says for you to shut up and keep silence in the church if there's no interpretation. And if you can't do that, then you got the wrong spirit pushing you along. I'm not trying to put a damper on the move of God. I'm trying to clear out some garbage where we can have a move of God. I'm tired of leaving services with a knot in my cut and feeling bad half the night because uh, we never did get to where God wanted us to be. We never did hear what God had to say because some supposed to be spiritual person had to take the show over. And I, I'm on, I've said enough. I'm going to quit. I don't want to make you so gun-shy that nobody will obey God in the rest of this conference. God was moving last night. God was speaking last night. We never did get a clear sound. Brother Howard, you shouldn't get up there and say that. Why shouldn't I? Why should we let this go on and on and on and on and on? I paid good money to come here and hear from God. I didn't come down here to hear a bunch of novices take the service over and destroy what God's trying to do. Amen. Do your practicing in your home church. 
I said I was going to shut up. Forgive me. Well, let's worship the Lord. Come on, let's praise the Lord together right now. Glory to your name, God. You can be seated. You can tell whether a man has true holiness or not by the spirit it manifests and produces in him. True holiness produces humility. True holiness gives a man an attitude where he can be easily entreated, where he can be taught, where he can be led, where he can be talked to. Amen. But you see, a false holiness will puff men up. Because it appeals to your carnality and pride. You see, there's two extremes to this issue. There's, there's, there's the, the flesh. See, this, this is the way it's always been. All philosophy fits into two broad categories. One would be towards stoicism and asceticism, which is the afflicting of the flesh, the uh, control of the body, the, uh, the uh, mortifying of the flesh for self-control, for bragging rights. And then there's the other extreme, which goes toward uh, uh, just, you know, pleasure. Paul dealt with these folks in Acts chapter 17. The Stoics and Epicureans were there. Amen. Hedonistic type uh, philosophies, things that have to do with if it feels good, do it. So our human nature is bent toward one of these two extremes or excesses. We either have a, a human tendency toward uh, glorifying in, in, in control of our body and our mind and impressing others with how strong we are or how mentally strong we are or how much in control that we are or how much we can control others. We either go with that direction or we go toward the other direction. Amen. Anything, you know, I'm just a party animal. Whatever makes me feel good, that's what I'm going to do. So we go toward those two extremes. And it's entirely possible to get a certain sense of satisfaction and self-worth out of feeling like that you are in control of your body and you are in control of your actions and you have achieved a certain level of self-discipline. But that's not necessarily holiness. Because there are religions all over the world that don't even believe in God that practice that way beyond anything you and I practice. So that in and of itself is not holiness. Holiness will produce self-control. Holiness will give you the ability, amen, to crucify the flesh and the works thereof. 
But once you succeed in doing it, you're not proud of what you've done. But you still feel and see areas that you need God's help in. And areas that you need to work on. And areas of your spirit and your attitude that you know is not quite up to par. Neither does it produce an attitude of looking around and comparing yourselves by yourselves and saying, well, I'm more holy than this guy because I don't do this or I do this or something else. Well, praise God. People, I, I, I'm, I've got to bear my soul today. I'm sorry. I, I don't want to offend you. But as holiness people, I'm appalled at some of the attitudes we display towards one another. I, I, I went off and wept and cried. I've asked God why of some of the attitudes that I see us conservative brethren exhibiting towards one another. I'm telling you in the fear of the Lord today, if we don't get some spirits and attitudes under control, we are going to self-destruct. We are devouring one another. We are dividing the ranks of conservatism over pride and ego. I'm offended by these feelings of superiority, spiritual superiority, that I feel coming off some people. Amen. I'm offended by our seemingly uncontrollable urge to try to force one another to do and to say it the way I want it said on every little issue we're the first to demand liberty for ourselves but sometimes we're the, la the last to grant it to one another please take what I'm saying in the context of this message amen where did we get our license and authority? Amen. To try to run each other's churches. I believe in elders and being submitted to elders and all that. I'm not coming against apostolic authority. Amen. But I'll tell you, 
You can't even go to a meeting such as this without somebody on either side of you judging everything that's said and criticizing everybody that gets up and every statement that's made. It's going on right now while I'm preaching today. And we call that holiness? We can't even hear from God. Amen. Because we're doing our little running commentary and critique on everything that's said and done. We're reading something into everything somebody says. Well, most of the preachers I know are pretty plain spoken. Amen. If you'll just listen to what they're saying, you can understand what they meant. You know why you try to put a hidden meaning behind everything somebody says? It's because that's the way you operate, and that's the way you think, and you think everybody else thinks that way. But honey, I'm here to inform you, everybody doesn't operate that way. Some of you right now are sitting there, well, I wonder who he's after. I'll tell you who I'm after. I'm after the one that asked that question. That's the very spirit that I'm talking about. How are we going to have a move of God when we can't let a man of God preach what he feels and obey God without sitting there judging and criticizing and critiquing everything he says the whole time he's in the pulpit? Well, hallelujah. Amen. It's time we deal with some attitudes. It's time that we purge ourselves. Amen. From some inward sins. It's time we get rid of an old judgmental critical spirit against one another. Amen. We need some love among the brethren. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can be seated. It's amazing to me sometimes how autocratic, how unmerciful, how intolerant, and even how cruel we can get at times with one another. I'm not against hard preaching. I'm preaching pretty hard today. Amen. I believe in just calling it what it is. Amen. Not beating around the bush, not painting it gray when it's black or white. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not trying to dumb down the pulpit. I'm not trying to silence anybody from preaching the Word of God. I'm not even trying to silence anybody from preaching their personal convictions. What I'm dealing with, amen, is an attitude and a feeling of superiority, amen, that makes you the judge to judge everybody and critique everybody and blackball everybody that doesn't see eye to eye with you on every little issue. I believe when the love of God is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Ghost, it gives you a little mercy for one another. I hear people talking all the time, I'm cutting this dude off. I ain't having nothing else to do with this guy. Have you ever talked to him about what you have out? No, I ain't talking to him. You're wrong. That's unscriptural. If you got all against your brother, you're supposed to go to him. If you see your brother in error, you're supposed to go to him in a spirit of meekness and seek to restore him. The Bible never gave you the authority to cut that man off and damn him and condemn him without first trying to save him. 
Let's worship the Lord here for a moment today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I must hurry. Please be seated. I don't want to run over my time. It's just about up. Amen. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm preaching to you my burden, okay? I don't know if I've got a message today as much as I do a burden. And you know there's a place for both. I see both in Scripture. Some of the prophets were burdened. And what they had to say was just articulating their burden. And others had a word from God and said, Thus saith the word of the Lord. Would you just let this preacher today unbear his heart and preach a burden that I have. But I'm going to tell you, these attitudes and actions that I'm talking about is doing more to harm the conservative movement than any of the rhetoric or actions of the liberals. There's a lot of young men out there that's just getting their ministry started. And that a very impressionable age. And when they hear us older ministers, and I've been preaching for over 30 years now, and I just passed my 50th birthday a week ago, so I'm going to start including myself at least as having a little bit of age and maturity. And when they hear us, amen, constantly downing one another, Criticizing one another, slamming one another, cutting this one off and cutting that one off. They begin to say, you know what? If that's what conservatism is all about, if that's what holiness is all about, I can't handle that. Well, young man, I want to tell you something today. That's not what holiness is about. And that's not what conservatism is about. I'm sorry if you've seen some conduct out of myself and some others that have given you that idea. I repent before you today in the fear of the Lord. I'm making up my mind. Amen. From here on out, I'm going to do more praying for people and less criticizing. I'm going to try to reach and help more people instead of putting people down so quickly. For the record, for the record, Romans chapter 1 and verse number 4 speaks of according to the spirit of holiness. I've already said so much, you're either going to like, love me or hate me when I get through today, so I'm beyond the point of no return. So I'm going to crash land this here in just a little bit. Don't have time to circle on land. Myself personally came upon a process, a method, whatever you want to call it, that I feel is apostolic in determining whether I feel comfortable around a preacher or I feel comfortable with his congregation or not. And the thing that I look for, as much as the externals, 
is do I sense in that individual? Do I sense within that church what I call the spirit of holiness? I have been some places where the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. But you felt this seething, underlying uneasiness and feeling of worldliness. I've seen people that could wear long sleeves and long dresses and look like Jezebel. They, they, just, they just emanate a spirit and a feeling when you're around them. I've been around preachers that were very, very conservative. But their conversation was so shady and so gray, so blue that I felt anything but the spirit of holiness when I was around them. I think we ought to at least give equal value to the spirit of a man and the spirit of a church as we do to one or two little issues that we hang our hat on. Brethren, I've got some things that are a test of fellowship in my church. But it's not a test of fellowship. Some of these things are not a test of fellowship with my fellow ministering brethren. If everybody has to sit exactly the way I do, there's only about two or three people that qualify to preach in my pulpit. If you'll be honest, you do the same thing. Well, glory to God. I don't know if I'm going to have to crash this thing or not. I think it's just going to fizzle out. I don't accept or reject a man on the basis of... Now, there's doctrines of holiness, okay, and separation. But I do not accept or reject you on the basis of one or two of my personal convictions. Now you can do whatever you want to do. I'm just putting myself out here on the limb. You don't have to cut it off for me. I'm doing a good job all by myself. Amen. You all just get to watch me fall and splatter all over the place. I'm, this preacher's not dropping his watermelon. I'm going to be like Judas. My bowels is going to gush out here in a little bit as I hang myself and fall to the rocks. Hallelujah. Let me see what I can pack in the next five minutes and close this thing down. Second Peter chapter 1 verses 3 and 4. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life, and godliness. Godliness is another word for holiness. Through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Now that's true holiness. It's when the divine nature is imparted to you, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Amen. God has given us all things by His divine power that pertains, amen, to life and pertains to holiness. Amen. And God imparts to you and I His divine nature. 
Now that's true holiness. You get that when you're born again of the water and of the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's the new nature, the divine nature, the impartation. You see, when you were born again of the water and the Spirit, according to Apostle Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified from your former lifestyle, from your former ungodly behavior and action. You're now holy in God's sight. But here's where separation comes in. Amen. That's the doctrine that God instituted in both the Old and the New Testament to protect our sanctification. Because you take on the nature of whatever you associate with. Whatever you come in contact with. Haggai the prophet said, if one bear holy flesh in his garments and he touches that which is not holy, if he touches wheat or meat or something else, does that uh, grain or does that meat become holy? And the priest said, no. But he said, if he bears that which is holy and he touches that which is unholy, what happens? That which is holy becomes unholy. That's why you have separation. When you put holy up against unholy, holy doesn't rub off on unholy. Unholy rubs off on holy. Amen. You come in from work. Amen. You've been working construction. You're filthy. You're dirty. Amen. You're sweaty. You stink. Amen. And your wife is all clean and smells good. And you sit down on the couch and snuggle up next to her and say, I'm going to let some of your cleanness rub off on me. Try that out. Get off this couch with those filthy clothes. What do you mean wearing those filthy boots into the house? That clean carpet does not make the boots clean. But the boots makes the carpet dirty. Those filthy clothes does uh, not become clean because you're sitting on a clean couch. There's only one way to get clean and that's to be washed. And that's what happened when you were born again of the water and the Spirit. That's where true holiness begins. When you become partakers of the divine nature. But now God wants us to walk in sanctification. Amen. 2 Corinthians 6, 16 and 17. Amen. We read here, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. Amen. And then the promises. Amen. Uh, I will receive you. Be a father unto you and so forth and so on. What I want us to notice here. Amen. It's talking about fellowship with idols. Fellowship with unbelievers. Unequally yoked together. Amen. On and on and on. And the Bible says separate yourself from these things. Why? Because when you refuse to separate these things affect you and defile you. We don't abstain from watching TV to get holy. We abstain from watching TV to stay holy. We don't stay home from the ball game to get holy. 
We stay home from the ball game because we are holy. We don't want to go out there and be affected with that spirit and all that junk that's going on out at the ball field. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. You see, when God called you and filled you with the Holy Ghost, He put a Holy Spirit in you. Now it's up to you to walk in sanctification, to walk in separation, and to keep yourself holy and unspotted from this world. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I don't have time to finish this, but let me just give you these three verses of Scripture, and I'm through. Ephesians 1 and 4. Amen. We're chosen that we should be holy and without blame. Holy and without blame. You can start out with holiness and end up with blame. But God wants us to stay holy and without blame. Ephesians 5, 27, He wants to present the church to Himself holy and without blame blemish Colossians 1 he wants to present you and I holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight amen conclusion day our separation is not to impress one another it's not to compete with one another amen it's not to use as a club or on one another it's not to react against what someone else is doing necessarily amen but it's to present us blameless at his appearing hallelujah how many of you want to walk in sanctification and separation amen maintaining a holy spirit amen and maintaining a holy separated godly lifestyle could you stand and worship the lord with me this morning hallelujah Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. You can be seated in Jesus' name. Paul went on to say, seeing that we have such promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. In the fear of God. Amen. Cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. And we like to preach about the filthiness of the flesh. But there's also a filthiness of the spirit. That we must cleanse ourselves from. A lot of times we find ourselves praying God cleanse me. But God said for us to cleanse ourselves. Amen cleanse ourselves you know how we cleanse ourselves we take preaching like this and we scrub our hearts with it amen the washing of water by the word we take preaching like this and we say God I it, it seems like I'm, I might have I might have scrubbed the outside pretty good but I missed a few spots inside there and I want to cleanse myself not only from all filthiness of the flesh but all filthiness of the Spirit. 